0: Good morning, if you would, open up your Bibles uh, or electronic device to uh, the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to go all the way to Acts 15. Just checking to see if anybody's awake this morning. (laughs) Just do three, okay, I promise. Uh, Verses one through 10. So Acts chapter three, uh, verse one through 10. Let me catch you up. Maybe this is your first week um, and you're punching into the Acts uh, series. I don't even know if I'd call it a series. Uh, This is more just like a study of the book. We've been going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And let me just give you a summary of where we've been so that you can kind of be brought up to speed. Our author in the book of Acts is the physician named Luke. He also wrote uh, the gospel of Luke, and so uh, Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. Luke writes to an unknown um, author, and when I say unknown, it's just unknown about what we know about him. His name is Theophilus, and we realize that in Luke chapter 1, Theophilus we know was probably somewhat wealthy uh, but he wrote so that Theophilus would be sure of the things in which uh, had passed about Jesus. So that he had certainty on these things. That's what the Gospel of Luke tells us. And so um, he writes about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and he writes here about the disciples who embody what it looks like to be like Christ after Christ left. Um, we talked about that at the Mount of Olives. Jesus ascended in chapter 1 into the air in a cloud with his promise from the angels to return. He said he would come back again soon. That was 2018 years ago, so people use that word uh, sparingly because soon can mean many things, right? When are we going to eat? Soon. I don't know if I could hold off 2,018 years to eat, but he says he's going to come back again soon after he ascends, uh, we're still waiting for his return. The 11, though, meet up. Um, Peter, one of the apostles, he gives a summary on Judas' betrayal. They need to replace him. So they're gonna um, kind of call on the 12th man. That is going to be a man named Matthias, and that is the end of Acts chapter one. You go into Acts chapter two, and we see there's 50 days after a feast called Passover, which is a day of Pentecost, which means 50th. Pentecost means 50th, and the Apostles uh, speak in multiple languages to multiple different people talking about this Jesus and what he was all about, what he did, the things that he did, and how it is important to their life. They have a decision to make. Either they will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, or they will reject him. The message that was given at Pentecost is the same message that we give today to people all over the world. Either you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, or you reject him. And 3,000 plus people give their life over to Jesus Christ that day. It is a riveting sermon from Peter. He explains all these prophecies from uh, the Old Testament, and God's Holy Spirit is in turn poured out, and the God who chose to dwell in temples and tabernacles of the Old Testament chooses now to dwell in people via his Holy Spirit. So he gives us his spirit at Pentecost. Then we realize... that there was a number that was added to uh, their number daily, and we talked about those principles uh, last week in Acts chapter 2, and so you're caught up in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth and um, the fact that uh, the Bible is true. And God, we thank you and we praise you for um, faithful men like a physician, like Luke, um, who probably was thought to be a common man who did a very uncommon thing and was faithful to you in articulating the life of our Savior and what it looks like to be like him. We thank you for his uh, meticulous hand that just clearly um, articulated for us what it means to be like Jesus. As we look at uh, this book of Acts um, We have the opportunity to become like Christ and conform to your will and not to our own will. And I pray that that would happen here this morning as we look into this text. That we would move away from ourselves and into what it looks like to be like you. I pray that those who are far from you, who don't have a relationship with you, would come to know you as Lord and Savior. By the declaration of your word this morning... That they would confess that they're sinners and believe that the blood of Jesus covers their sin. And I know so many people who are gathered here this morning uh, know you as Lord and Savior. And I ask uh, very specifically, God, that you would help us and that you would deepen and mature our walk with you. That we would move past um, milk and into meat. That we would push ourselves to become more like your son And that it would uh, be very applicable in our everyday life of how much we need you, how much we desire to be like you. God, speak now through me um, and speak to these people in ways that I cannot. Uh, We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. This is gonna be a fun message. I like this story. He says, uh, number two, and a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid there daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms, that would be money, of those who are entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms from Peter and John. And Peter directs his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. (laughs) And then the man, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something, uh, primarily money. uh, But Peter said, I got no silver and gold. But what I do have, I'm gonna give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, or the Nazarene, rise up and walk. And verse seven says, and he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And then all the people that were there They saw what was happening with him, the man who was walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at that beautiful gate of the temple, asking for money or alms. And they went, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We have to see ourselves in the story, and I would like to kind of put ourselves in this place and identify with some of the people who are in the text Here is what's happening and transpiring in Acts chapter 3. People are coming to church. They're gathering, just like all of us had gathered or have gathered here this morning. They would come three times a day. Can you imagine if community gospel was open three times a day? How many of you would come? (laughs) You're like, Jordan, I see you once a week. That's enough. But they would come three times a day. They would come in the morning, 9 o'clock a.m., in the afternoon, 3 p.m., and then at uh, sunset, and they would come to pray. And Peter and John are going up. So if you want to underline that in your text, you can. Going up literally means, ready for this? Going up. The temple is located on an elevated state, okay? It would be like if we moved community gospel to the top of the hill that is the dump. Wouldn't that be impressive? And you... (laughs) Went up. (laughs) Where's your church located? Top of the trash mound. They went up, elevated location in the city, and they were living as obedient Jews. Now, didn't they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Peter and John? Didn't they do that? Didn't they come to a relationship with God through faith in Christ? Well, yeah. But all they know is Judaism. All they know is that they're supposed to be faithful Jews. Jesus didn't give any other instructions here. And so as obedient Jews, they go to the house of prayer. Those divisions would come later. See, after the fall of Jerusalem, Jews initiated an oath where they essentially said, we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they kicked out all the believers in Jesus Christ from the synagogues. And so what we know from church history is they were banned And if you can't meet where you're banned, which is on a Saturday, you got to move your service somewhere else. And so they go to Sunday, and then they ask, why are you going to move your church service to Sunday? And they say, well, we'll give you a couple ideas. First of all, number one, um, Jesus rose on a Sunday, and number two, Jesus appeared three times to the disciples in the upper room. So that's kind of uh, where we get the, the differences, where Judaism goes this way. And the believers, Christianity goes this way. They go every day into the Sabbath, and the three o'clock hour is interesting to me. You want to know why? Okay, so (laughs) it's interesting because if you go back in the Old Testament, do you remember the prophet Elijah? Do you know what Elijah did? Elijah's got a situation where he's dealing with um, false prophets, these false prophets essentially call Elijah out. They look at Elijah. They say, Elijah, um, we want to have a competition to, between your God and our God. So we're going to set up two temple, or two essentially uh, structures, altars, if you will, and we're going to call down fire from heaven. Whoever, uh altar lights up first wins. Elijah's like, all right. And they're like, okay, we're going to up the ante a little bit. We're going to go and we're going to completely drench yours in water and ours. We're going to make a little bit better than yours so that it will be a little bit more um, flammable, if you will. And here's what it says in 1 Kings 18. It says, the Bible says, The time of the offerings, which is 3 p.m., there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention until... Elijah called down fire from heaven, and Yahweh answered by fire that he is a true God. And the God, the living God, shows himself to be real. Then, in the New Testament, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, cries out with a loud voice. You already know what he says, but he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what time that happened at? 3 p.m. Both show people that God is the true God. Old Testament, the living God, God the Father. New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Son is God. Here in Acts, the Holy Spirit is about to validate what He is all about and that He is God. He is God the Father, three in one. Jesus, God the Father, the Spirit. Peter and John have an appointment for the three o'clock worship service, look at this, with the desire to go see friends, to talk about Pentecost, to share their newfound faith in Christ. And remember, they're now religious leaders in the church. People know about Peter and John. They understand that they had received this Holy Ghost. And so they're going to church and no doubt they wanted to share with their friends what Jesus was all about and how he has come true in some of his promises. And here we realize that they have gone from the minor leagues to the major leagues. They should be signing autographs. But a test is coming in the form of this lame beggar who's looking for a handout. And the question is, how will they respond? We have to see ourselves as Peter and John before we go any further in the text. That's me, that's you. That's us as believers. We have a 10 10 appointment at church on Sunday morning. We got to get to that church, and you should be. It is so vital for you to be here and to gather. But when we go, sometimes our religion gets in the way of our relationship with those who are lost. And sometimes we become so spiritual, we forget about those who are spiritually depraved. And here comes Peter and John, beloved, devoted believers in Jesus Christ. They have an appointment to get into that door. And they realize there's a man that's sitting here. I am Peter and John. You're Peter and John. And look at verse 2. It says, here's the lame beggar. And Peter and John recognize the lame beggar. And they stop in their tracks. And they probably thought a few things about this man. Number one, who's their rabbi, king, Jesus what has Jesus done with the lame? Well, we know in the Bible, eight times in four gospels, Jesus cared for the lame. And the lame man is from birth, another translation says, from the mother's womb, which intensifies his in severity. Scholars believe he was not paralyzed from the waist up, but the waist down. And what we realize about this man is that he probably had damaged feet and ankles and knees and hips. And the man had never known anything except each day people come, they drop him off at the temple so that he can beg for money. That's the man. He has no name. He's just the man. And he is sitting there and he's asking for compensation and he is asking people to take pity on him. It's the only way that he knows how to live. And he sits underneath the beautiful gate. Some people think that's in regards to the story. Because it's a beautiful story. Uh, That's taking scripture a little bit too far, okay? Pause for a minute. The beautiful gate is a reference to the gate in the New Testament. It's the only time that we see this, but it's probably on the eastern side. It's a gated city. In the gates, there's eight total that you have to get in. It's interesting. Jerusalem's kind of still like this today. You have to walk in through the gates in order to get to the city. Um, It's kind of fascinating, actually. It's a little scary because people stand outside of the gates with semi-automatic weapons and they point them at you and they look at you because you're american and you think to yourself i might not make it home in time for dinner with these guys and then they look at you and they say hey do you feel safer here in israel or in america not here with the man pointing his rifle in my chest <laughs> okay i don't feel safe here we feel safer here good for you you stay here i'll go back over there anyway woof <laughs> so there's eight of these gates overlaid with gold and silver, one with bronze. There's a popular way to reach the temple and to get money. Now, Jews were required to give uh, people who were disabled money. It was a part of their custom. They were required to do that. We know that in the text, um, helping the poor was expressed in the Torah. That's the first part of the Bible. If you remember in the book of Ruth... He, gleamed, he, he let Ruth gleam from her fields. He set aside essentially a tenth of his fields so that she who was poor could eat. There was a seventh year uh, in the Old Testament where the fields were given to the poor. And here's what would happen. You would walk by these beggars and you would flick change at them so that people saw you giving money to them. It is the same thing as you going to South Bend, rolling down your window, putting on the hazards, flashing your lights, and saying, I'm about to give this homeless guy five bucks. Everybody see this? Same thing. They would just flick a money, and say, here you go. I did my religious responsibility, and they would walk into the temple. Peter and John stopped. Now, they probably thought one other thing. This is interesting. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And in the story, the purpose of that parable was to show that no one can trust in themselves for righteousness or view others with with dislike. The Pharisee prays a prayer where he tells God that he's such a good man. He keeps the law. He fasted. He tithed. He gives money to the poor. And then the tax collector, who's overwhelmed with the grace of God, realizes that he is not like the Pharisee, but he needs God as a standard. He needs God's mercy and his forgiveness. So what? Well, Jesus' application of the parable and the foundation for the start of the story here is that it's necessary for people to humble themselves before God to gain forgiveness. And those who are proud will be brought low. The man's crippled condition is a picture of the hopeless condition of the sinner. I am not only Peter and John, I was the lame man. That's me in the story. That's also Peter and John. They realize that that's who they once were. Jesus called ordinary everyday fishermen out of their regular practices so that they could participate in the advancement of the gospel. And they look at the lame beggar and think to themselves, if Jesus can help the lame, maybe, possibly we can too because we've been in that situation. I am Peter and John. I am a very religious person to the outside world. They know me as Pastor Jordan. But not a lot of people in our community know me as the lame man who once was lost in sin. And so it is with us. Where are we? Do we view ourselves as being Peter and John? I have church to participate in. Or do we remember our sinful condition? What do people know you as? Maybe some people know you more for your sin than they knew you uh, for your savior. Hmm. I am both of these men. Paul would later say in Romans chapter five, verse six, "Well, we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the lame man. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter two, remember you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers, you had no hope, you were without God in the world. And I think Peter and John look at each other and they say, we have to have compassion upon this man because Christ had compassion on us. He took us from the ordinary into the extraordinary because of the grace of God, because of the spirit in which we have received. We can probably do something that Jesus can do. And I think John, just being the quiet one, he looks over and he goes, yeah, man, let's do it. Peter's outspoken. He speaks for the group. Of course Peter thinks he can heal the lame man. John, on the other end, he's like, I'll just step back and see how this pans out. If it doesn't, I'm making a beeline into the, into the sanctuary, right? And here's what happens. Look at verse 4. The man looks at him, and he asks repeatedly, "All these people are going by. Will you give me money? Will you give me money? Will you give me money?" Uh, but now he sees the two apostles, oh Peter and John, and they give him attention. Peter was so fixated on the man that he looks intensely at him. It was an intense stare. It's like this. You scared, Nick? Okay, I don't think so. Man, I tried so hard. I was going to go for Brad, but he was. Thinking about something else. That's not a big deal. And he calls and demands for the man to give him attention. It's like, well, you know when you do this to kids and they're outside? I do this to my daughter sometimes. I say, girls! (laughs) These are good kids right here. They're like, what was that? And they instantly think, did I do something wrong or is it time to eat? It's the only two things they want to know. I say dinner time. They're like, "All right, Dad, hide the paint, <laughs> okay?" <laughs> and that's what he does. He looks at him. Sorry, Nick, you're stuck with me today. He looks at him intently. And he stops. Can you imagine what the man's thinking? I just I just want money man like just give me a buck like seriously what is wrong with you But I th- I think the man I think he saw the compassion in Peter's eyes I think he saw what was going on I think he saw that he needed a miracle and I think he realized that Peter's going to demand his attention and he's going to give him something he doesn't expect Now Peter looks at him and what does he say I, I got no money And that's true, right? He doesn't have anything. Peter lives in a community full of other believers. He has no silver, no gold. Everything that he has, he's given over to the church. He doesn't have any money. His pocket's completely empty. He just looks at him. he's like, there's nothing in here. I got nothing. And he knows it. John, John doesn't have any money either. There's nothing here for us to give you financially. The Greek phrase uh, about silver and gold is a common expression If you want to know how poorly they lived, Acts chapter 2, verse 44 explains that. And here, while he was poor, Peter does have Jesus, the Nazarene, who could heal. Now he says, in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, this is interesting. It's a Hebrew phrase that speaks of one's character. This was shocking seeing that Jesus was recently condemned and a crucified criminal. So he looks at him. Sorry, man, you're struggling. He says, in the name of Jesus. Now, if Nick's the man, do you know what he's thinking? The convicted criminal? The guy who just hung on the tree? You got something for me from Jesus? Yep, the Christ. Peter calls Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, and it's going to rock him because Peter is saying here that Christ has power and authority. Pascal once said, You do little things as if they were great because of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in you. And you do great things as if they were little and easy because of God's omnipotence. Hmm. Peter's like, I got nothing to give you, no silver or gold. But what I do have, I guess what I got? I got Jesus, the Nazarene, the convicted criminal who has power and authority over sin, over death, over disease. And the healing is a picture of what Christ, the great physician, can do. I think this story is so near and dear to Luke's heart. I think that's why he starts to write it down. He's a physician. He gets it. Can you imagine Luke, maybe even I'm speculating a little bit be kind to me, knew this girl or this, this man. He's, he's been there for 40 years. And Luke's a physician, and he knows that he cannot heal this man. Maybe he's been to his practice. He knows that he can't do anything for him. Your best bet, the doctor's advice is that you just stay at the temple and ask for money. That's your best bet. That's all you got. I don't have any other news for you. And so Luke the physician writes down here that the great physician who is greater than him can do things in the face of hopelessness. And he is going to fulfill a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35. The crippled man asks for money, but Peter gives him something much better. He gives him the use of his legs. And we often ask God to solve the small problems in our life, but he wants to give us a whole new life and help with our bigger issues. When we ask God for help, he may say, I've got something even better for you. So we may need to ask God, for what we want, but don't be surprised when he gives us what we really need that changes our lives. Now, so many people have said that this text is a push to help the poor. That's not true. We should help the poor. There's other verses that back that. You are to take care of the poor. But here, if you look at Peter and John, they use what they have. All they do is use what they have available to them. That is what God is asking you to do. Just use what you have. I don't have any silver and gold, but I got Jesus, the Nazarene, he lives in my heart. And part of what we just talked about in Acts chapter two is giving over to people what you have internally so that they can live internally clean as well. And Peter says, I'll give you Jesus. I don't wanna be selfish with him. I'm gonna give him to you and I'm gonna enable you to begin to live and take care of yourself. See, he realizes that he, if he gave him a dollar or two dollars or however much that he had, that man's gonna eat for a day. But he says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna teach you how to fish so that you can feed yourself for a lifetime. And sometimes the people you come in contact with, the thing that they need the most in their life is the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can start feeding themselves for a lifetime and not living off of somebody else in the current moment, in the present. Sometimes the biggest thing that we can do as believers in Jesus Christ is give people the gospel which we have received. That's all he's gonna do. He's gonna turn it over and he's gonna give it to him and he's gonna use what he has. Remember the story about the little boy with the fish? Remember that? That's all I got, I got lunch. Here we go. What does Jesus do? Multiplies it. He's like, I'm gonna do something awesome with your lunch. Here we go. I want you to give what you have. Now, here's the awesome part in verse 7. Here's the proof and reaction to the healing as the people at the temple could see a formerly lame man who is now walking and praising God. The people recognize this man. He's not fake. No doubt he is the one who had this condition, and they are in wonder and amazement. That is the reaction. Common for miracles. Now, let's note a few things here. I love this. I I, I love this. What does Peter do? Do you know what he does? He extends his right hand. He's already said he's healed. He's already stated that. He's already said you're healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, you are healed. The man doesn't get up. Sometimes people who are healed stay stagnant. Why? Because they need somebody else to come alongside them so that they can help them. So he comes over to this man and he extends his right hand. Now, he's got to accept it, right? He's got to accept it. He still doesn't believe he's healed. He still doesn't believe he's healed. And so the man looks at him, and Peter looks at him, and he says, hey, Jesus has healed you, and he pulls him up. Sometimes you got to live on somebody else's faith before you believe it for yourself. How many times have we done that, where we've helped somebody see who they are in Christ, How many times have we done that? How many times have we helped somebody get to the place that they need to be at where we've reached out our hand, but instead, thanks Brad, we walk by them. You walk right by them. How many people in your job need you to come alongside them and help them be who they are in Christ? But I don't have anything. I don't have a gift. I don't have anything. You you don't have to have anything as long as you got Jesus. We look at people all the time as who they are, not of who they can become. And we are so unwilling to reach out our hand and say, I will help you because we're worried about the consequences of those actions, not about the praises of the king who can do far more than we can do. And the man begins to walk. He is overjoyed. I can just see Peter and John like, this is happening. <laughs> now, now, Pause for a second, right? The men standing here, a miracle has occurred. The Greek, the original Greek, says that sockets have been reset, and now he's standing. Now we have a little bit of a situation because that's the entrance to the sanctuary and that's the entrance to the world. Where do we go? Uh oh. That man does not go running down the road. Where does he go? He goes into the doors of the sanctuary. Peter and John do not forsake the assembly that is gathered. The first direction they point a healed individual is to the church. Really? To the church? We got to go to church. How many times do we share the gospel with people and we say, hey man, just let it be your own individual walk. It's not your own individual walk. This is a corporate activity that God wants us to participate in. Look at all these sinners. Come on in. And they walk in together, the text says. Isaac Walken says, God has two dwellings, one in heaven and the other in a thankful heart. Now here's what happens that I think is amazing. They walk into the sanctuary praising God. They disrupted the whole service. This is a pastor's nightmare. <laughs> they broke into the, into the doors and they're like, ah hey guys, you're never gonna guess what happened. The pastor's like, excuse me, um you just tone it down a little. Right? It's a nightmare. You're never going to guess what happened. Jesus, you remember Jesus, the Nazarene? Do you remember him, the convicted criminal? You remember that guy? You remember that guy 50 days after Passover when we said that he gave us the free gift of the Holy Spirit? You remember that guy? Yep. In the name of Jesus, I got healed. I was saved. He did an amazing work in my life. And all the people there were amazed The scene is a reminder, a good reminder, of the importance of recognizing the true source of our blessings and how we need to be thankful no matter who we are, whether we're Peter and John or the lame man, because we're both. And that we have to come in here with a thankful, grateful heart, praising God. We have to be concerned about our posture in worship. We have to be concerned about our posture in prayer. We have to be concerned about how we let people see Christ in us. God used people to be the vessels through whom he works. And we should be thankful for those who help us. And reserve our praise for the God who is behind every good and perfect gift it's amazing. You want to know why? Because joy is contagious, right? Joy is contagious. It is amazing how much joy is contagious. When you go around people and you see people with those faces that are drooping, you think to yourself, man, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I think I want to be a part of something where, where people are excited. I sat down with an individual just a, a, a little bit ago man, I love how God works because I had no way to close this sermon when I walked in here today and I was like, okay, God, you got to take care of the conclusion because I don't know what, I don't know how this whole thing like ends. And, and this is funny. I talked to this individual and they came up to me and they, said, they I said, I said, hey, how are you doing with community gospel? They're new here. And I said, you like, you like community gospel? And I wanted them to say, yeah, you know, I wanted to be like, yeah, man, we love community gospel because Pastor Jordan, you're the best, you know? <laughs> I was searching, fishing for compliments. And, uh, and they said, yeah, we like community gospel. I said, why do you like community gospel? And he looked back at me and he said, you want to know why we like community gospel? He says, because people here genuinely love Jesus. He says, because people here genuinely love Jesus. And I was like, you know, that, that's true. That's true. They do love Jesus. I think you guys are doing great in this. I think you're doing awesome in this area. I think that God's done a great work in your life. I think you are genuinely excited about the relationship that you have with Jesus. And I would say, keep going. Use what you have to impact people who are far from God so that they would come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that those who know Jesus Christ would be encouraged to keep going. Identify some people this week that maybe just need some help in your workplace, in your homes. Maybe it's with your friends, your relationships. Reach out your hand, your right hand or the left <laughs> and help a brother or sister out. Help them see who they can become in Jesus. Be transparent with what's going on in here. Show them that, hey, I don't have it all together. But let me tell you something. With Jesus, he can fill in the gaps. That would be my prayer for you this week that you would reread this passage and you would see that I'm Peter and John, but I'm also the layman, that God has done a miracle in and through. So my job is to be thankful and live obediently because of that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your text and your word and how true it is. God, sometimes I'm just, I'm not real thankful. I don't have um, this spirit of joy a whole lot of times because I forget all the great, awesome, wonderful, powerful things that you have done in my life. And so, Lord, uh, as we're gathered here today, restore us and revive us again. I love that song. Revive us to the truth that we know that you're a good God, that you're, you're working and that you're moving, that you love us and that you care for us that you're with us, you're not against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful passage of scripture which should stir our insides to have joy that God is not against us when we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are far from God, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says it's very simple, if you would confess that you are a sinner, as the Bible says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's standard for how he calls us to live. If you would confess your sin and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that his death on the cross, the blood that was shed, covers that sin. It really happened. It's true. There's so much validity about the fact that Christ is real, and he's ruling, and he's reigning, and his blood was shed for you. If you want a relationship with Jesus, you confess that you're a sinner and believe that that blood covers your sin, and come to a relationship with God through faith. Say, Lord, I want a relationship with you. I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner. I believe in my heart that you are a Savior. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 17, that Jesus didn't come. <laughs> he did not come. To condemn us, he came to save us, a sinner like me and you. If you make that decision today, come, come find me. Man, I would love to give you assurance that God does love you and that he does care for you. But I know so many of us who are gathered here today, we know Jesus is our savior. And let me extend figuratively my right hand to you. And let me pick you up wherever you're at. If you're discouraged or you're lonely or you're going through a hardship, If you see yourself as the lame man, I wanna pray for you. God knows, he understands, he cares. He's working in and through those situations. Know that he loves you and that he cares for you in those times. As Proverbs tells us, lean not on your own understanding, lean on his understanding and his truth. If you're struggling, if you're going through a hardship, let me extend that figurative right hand to you via God and his word. And may you be encouraged. God, encourage these people's hearts. Help them to see that it is worth it. Conform our lives to your will. Help them to see that they are more than conquerors when they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Help them to know their true identity. That they are no longer slaves to sin, but they are free men and women and righteousness. Restore us, revive us again, and may, God, we go out and love well this week. May we share with people the gospel and what we have. We love you, Jesus. It's in your holy and awesome and powerful name, and if you agree, say amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together.